Hopefully by now as we wrap up this series, this theme, you're beginning to process what it means to live with a God who can do the impossible. And hopefully by now, you're beginning to expand your dream base and and your prayer base and how you see God. But the truth is this, is in order to witness the impossible, there must be a shift in our thinking. Our thinking controls our actions. Our thinking can be impacted by the enemy. And so it's this constant battle of replacing and guarding against and renewing our minds that allows us to become what God intended us to become. And if we're not active in renewing our thoughts and renewing our minds and capturing thoughts and replacing them with truth, then we'll soon live below our redeemed potential that God has called us to live. We'll fall short of being filled with the Spirit and becoming the people, men and women, that God wants us to become. So as we get to the end of this series, the end of this theme, we have a question to ask ourselves. Does my mind, and is my mind controlled by the spirit or by the enemy? And in order for you and me to live the way God wants us to live, then we must rethink our thoughts. We must adjust our thinking and we will see the impossible take place. About 10 years ago, I was speaking at Momentum Youth Conference. It's a conference that meets every summer. And they asked me to come and speak. And they gave me a, a topic to share with. And there were 2,500 teens there and, and workers. And so I went to this campus in Ohio and was speaking there. But prior to me speaking, I sat with the, the Momentum team And they asked how we could encourage the teens to see globally, to see outside of their cities and their homes and their hometown, and to see the world like God sees the world, and to challenge them to not only see outside their homes, but to reach outside their homes. So that night, going into this message, I was going to challenge the teenagers to give towards orphan care. And I was going to challenge them to give an offering at the end of this message that they would in turn then take the resources that was collected that night and then give towards Asia's Hope, which was a brand new ministry that we had just linked arms with that was reaching orphans and caring for orphans in Cambodia and Thailand. So we decided collectively at the end of the service, I would give a, a challenge and then say, hey, you can come and give. And so... I remember looking at the team, I said, teenagers have a lot of money. They have more money than what you realize they have. And if God can capture their hearts and reshape their thinking, then they'll give in ways you've never seen them give. So everything was in place. I get near the end of the message and they had a running count that they were going to put up just to see what God was doing. And so when I got at the end of the message and just tried to encourage them to see globally and care for our world, Something happened in that room that was just clearly a God thing. Teenagers ran to the front of the auditorium and began dumping money on the stage, began opening up their pocketbooks and and purses and putting money. They ran back to their dorms on this campus, got all the cash that they had, brought up and gave. And before we knew it, it was an hour later, the band continued to play, and we had a running count of resources that was going on. And that night, in Cedarville, Ohio, 2,500 teens and staff workers gave $90,000, $90,000. Yes, praise God. And so our hopes were that we could help Asia's Hope. Not only did the teens help, but they built a home in in Cambodia, right beside our home that we have in Batambang, and resourced that home for a whole year, and they were able to go rescue 25 beautiful kids that didn't have a mom or dad, and many would end up in human sex slavery, and rescue them in Cambodia. I remember sitting on the stage, just sitting down and weeping, just, just weeping, watching God move in a powerful way and just praising God, watching teens come. They gave so much that uh, the band that was there that week had gear that they were selling. They didn't sell any of it because the kids had no money left. 
They gave everything. They gave the money that they had for food to get back home, and, and they just gave and gave and gave. But I was up on the stage, I was seated down, and this big, muscular, black man came over, and he pointed at me, and he kind of motioned me on like he wanted to talk. So I went over, and he says, you don't know who I am. I said, no, I don't. I said, but hey, I'm Jim, and he said, yeah, I know who you are. What's your name? He said, my name is Gerard Cherry. And he said, I played for the New England Patriots and was a two-time Super Bowl winner of the New England Patriots. And he said, while you were speaking, the Spirit of God came upon me and I want to help too. And he said, I, I, I know this might sound crazy and, and there's a couple other staff members there. And short and sweet, he says, I want to give one of my Super Bowl rings to this cause. He said, but I want to do it in such a way that I can get the mess most for it. So they put his Super Bowl ring up on an auction the following weeks and almost $200,000 came in for the cause of Asia's Hope because someone felt the move of God and tug at their heart to give. And so another home was built in Thailand alongside all these resources. Why? Because these teenagers and Gerard thought outside of what they normally thought, let the Holy Spirit of God challenge him in understanding what the gospel is, gave. And because of that, there are beautiful young men, beautiful young women that would have ended up in human sex slavery that now are adults working in Cambodia and Thailand, teachers wanting to be doctors, serving welders that are taking the gospel to Asia. We praise God for that. But in order to witness the impossible, there must be a change and a shift in our thinking. Jesus is about to do that for this man right here. Grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter five. John chapter five. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Stand with me as we read the first four verses of John chapter five and we read it out loud. So would you stand with me as you turn there to John chapter five and let's read verses one through four out loud together. Ready, read. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. You may have a seat. Just for clarification, if you're reading your Bible and you're seeing there's a three and there's no verse beside three. Look at your Bible. It goes from verse three to verse five in the NIV. Here's the reason that is. Because the early manuscripts, the most reliable manuscripts, Greek manuscripts, which would be the UBS Maccabean text from which the NIV comes from and the NLT comes from and the ESV comes from, the most reliable texts don't have verse four as a reliable part. They added at the bottom, and that verse says that the people would wait by the water with the angel, hope with angels would stir the water. But more importantly, there is an invalid or invalids or people that are disabled laying by this pool at Bethesda. By the way, the term Bethesda is, means house of grace. Never let your own analysis of the analytics rob you of the impossible. I'm going to share what I mean by that in a second. But so often when we plan for God to do something, we only plan with what we know and what we see. We look at our income. We, look at, we project what we're going to make. We see the people that we have and we think that's all we're gonna have. And so as you plan for your family, plan for your future and you dream for your future, we have a tendency because we're wired that way to be so analytical in our thinking that we don't leave room for the God box to jump in. And so sure, it'll work because that's all we have. But every dream and every plan and every impossible thing that can happen, there must be a God box where we say, if God doesn't come through, I'm going to look really stupid here. We need that piece of the puzzle to see the impossible. Let's look at the facts of this account first. 
Only one, as best as we know, will walk away this day and be healed. Of all the people that were there, only one will walk away healed. He didn't, Jesus didn't wave his hand over all of them. He selected one that day as the one he would heal. He could have healed all of them, but on this day, Jesus would only heal one invalid. It doesn't appear that this man was doing anything differently up to this point than the other invalids there. We don't get anything from the text. There's no additional text that says, well, he was jumping up and down and waving, or he was on his knees and waving. There's no picture that he was doing anything different than the other invalids that were there. Nothing is different about this day in theory Yet when Jesus shows up, the impossible becomes possible. And let me say something. Jesus is already with you, those of you who know him personally. He's already shown up. Did you realize when you woke up this morning, he was already with you? And on your way to Grace Community, he was with you. And when you leave Grace Community, he'll go with you. He'll never leave you nor depart from you or forsake you. Can I get an amen for that? And so when you recognize that he's with you wherever you go, always have a box for him to operate for your future. Another fact, they all had false assumptions about how they could be healed and aren't quite sure why they believe this. By the way, can I just say something about an assumption? Assumption is the lowest form of knowledge. But the fact is, they assumed that they got near this water that was stirred and most Likely, it was an underground spring from time to time. If you've ever been in an area of body of water, when an underground spring moves, it stirs the water. And so they had assumed that it was an angel stirring it. It was a mystical, superstitious belief that they thought they could be healed by. Another fact, Jesus asks what seems to be a dumb question. Do you want to get well? I mean, that seems like a dumb question to someone who's laying by a pool waiting for the water to stir so they can crawl their way to be healed. Maybe some had just gone there out of comfort and routine and familiarity and really didn't want to get better. And Jesus knew that. He was the God-man. Let's unpack some more of this so we can see why one man who couldn't walk that morning, would leave carrying his mat, miraculously healed. You see, often we spend way too much time on the what ifs instead of the he can. And so we, God is pushing us, nudging you to do something. And so you go, what, well, if we do that, then this will happen. And then they, this won't come through. And that means that'll happen. And, and all we need to stop and say, listen, but if God is nudging you to go, he can and he is able. Just go. Let me give you an example. The early days of Grace Community were some phenomenal, phenomenal days for me personally. Grace Community was here before I came here. Praise God in 1954 for a group of people who had the vision to plant a church in Goshen, Indiana. There were a hundred that were assembled and they had a heart for this community. And by God's grace, I jumped in on this journey in 1996 But we were making some transitions and the leadership team was nudging us and encouraging us and believing this is direction that, and the people that were there, a dear group of people, and some are still with us. I I see the cheeks and Peggy Weaver, praise God, I'm so grateful. You put up with me all this time. (laughs) Thank you. And I mean that. But we wanted to go somewhere and believe that we need to make some changes in order to reach our community. And one of the changes was we wanted to move in what we would say would be a contemporary style of worship. Now that means different things to different people. It doesn't mean the traditional style is bad. It doesn't mean the contemporary is better, but we were making a change. And I remember sharing on a Sunday morning that I believe that God is moving us in this direction that we could have a worship team. We didn't have a worship team per se. I said, we'll need a guitar player. We'd love to have someone that can play the drums. We need a bass guitar player. And so we began to pray about that. And I remember that Sunday saying, I believe there'll be a day that this will happen. Not having one piece in place. 
That week, I was in my office, and there was a knock on my door, and a man came to my door, and his name was Ben Rushley. And he's with Jesus now. But he came walking in. He worked in the banking community, but he was a farm boy by heart. And he came in. He had a pair of bib overhauls on. He knocked on my door, and he was in his late 60s, or, or, and came to my office, and he said, he said, you, you talked on Sunday. This is Ben. You talked on Sunday that in order to reach more people, in order to reach the younger generation and families. Marge and I want to see some young families here that in order for that to happen, we need some instruments. I said, yeah. He said, you know what? I'd like to buy the drums. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) You want to buy the, yeah. yeah." He said, well, how much do those drums cost? I said, probably five to $600. He reached in his pocket, opened up his wallet, and went one, two, three, four, five, six $100 bills. And he said, put up his bibs and go buy those drums. <laughs> Listen to me. We didn't have a drummer. <laughs> we didn't have acoustic guitar player. We didn't have an electric guitar player. We didn't have what we would understand as a worship team. So one of our seminary students that was serving part-time, I caught him in and said, hey, man, you... We, we, Ben stopped by and he brought money for drums. You need to go buy some drums, okay? <laughs> so he went out and grabbed some other people and went out and bought these drums and they were the bluest blue drums I've ever seen in my life. They were royal blue. And so he brought them back and he said, what should I do? I said, well, put them on the stage. So he put them dead center right in the middle of the stage. So next Sunday when people came in, there was an organ that Sandy played praise God, and, and, and a piano, and right in the middle was a set of drums, and they were as blue as blue could be, right in the middle. And I remember standing there, and there were a few people like, what are those drums doing on stage? And I said, before I get into this, let me kill the elephant in the room. I said, you see these drums? And yeah, yeah, we see them. I said, but let me tell you what happened this week, and I'd like to thank the person who bought them. And there were some in that room who were waiting for a 20-year-old guy to stand up. Up stood Ben, pulled up his bivver rolls, <laughs> and I just, it was because of his vision as a 67-year-old man. He spoke to his age group, and because of his vision, we were able to buy drums, and I'm going to share a story here soon. We began praying for a drummer. <laughs> I believe in order for us to see God move that he requires something from us to pave the way that we believe. And so we bought the drums without the drummer and we're saying, God, you supply the drummer. These invalids were making a false assumption. They thought touching the stirred water would heal them. But the truth is that the only way they could be healed was if Jesus touched them. The invalid's greatest handicap wasn't physical, it was mental. Around this water, think about this, lay desperately sick people awaiting a chance to participate in a pathetic race of invalids to the water in which healing was granted to the least needy person among them. And the irony is it's called the pool of Bethesda, which is the pool of grace. There is nothing about grace that requires someone to beat someone to Jesus or to a stirring pool. And so those that was the least needy would get healing. That's not grace, that's works. What are you relying on in your personal life and a personal dream and just hoping that this takes place that you haven't taken a step to say, Lord, I've stepped out here. Here I am, God. Meet me here. God, I've invested in this. Please fill this dream with your impossibilities. He had a false assumption, as did all the others. They believed that they had to be the first one in the pool when the water was stirred, and we make the same mistake too. They believed in superstition and not in the supernatural. And you might say, I I don't believe in superstition. Oh, yeah, you do. 
when your sports team played along the way, how many of you wore your socks a certain way? How many of you would sit in the same seat as a fan? How many of you ate the same food before a game and you thought, I won before, I'll do this routine again? And you, not thinking, but superstitiously were hoping that that would stir the water. The only one that can stir the water and bring healing is Jesus Christ. None of our crazy superstition has any power. In fact, you're working in the occult when you do that. If you seek God first, he won't be your last resort, but your eternal hope. You see, the moment we make assumptions that are based on logical conclusions like these invalids did, and not theological truths, we leave open the possibility to reject the only person who can do the miraculous, which is Jesus Christ. I personally think the more we grow in our faith, we should make fewer assumptions. Never let your finite mind get in the way of your infinite God. I have a photo that I keep in my office And I'm telling you, isn't she adorable? (laughs) I love this photo because it's a reminder of me of the children in Cambodia and Thailand. And when I go there, my wife goes there, I'm called Daddy Jim and Ann is called Mommy Ann. But this is one of the precious, beautiful young ladies that has been rescued in Cambodia. Why? Because people chose to give. People stepped out of their own little world and said, we need to rescue people on the other side of the world. You see, the reason I have this is because there is a reminder of a time here at Grace Community Church on a Sunday morning 12 to 14 years ago. I gave a message right here on this stage and I was contacted by a friend that said, there are these children in Cambodia and Thailand, these hill tribe Thai children and these Batambang children that, that need it rescue, who have no parents, and if we don't get to them, then they will end up in human sex slavery. And he said, why don't you ask your church if they would be willing to support a home? So that was on a Tuesday, Sunday morning, and I gave a message, and as I got near the end of the message, I said, we could rescue orphans in our world. We could have the heart of James 127. We could have the heart of our God look after orphans and widows in distress. And I said, this is what it will take if we give. And when we give, we're making a commitment, not just one time, but you're making a commitment 14 years ago that you'll continue to give and support so that these children grow up and they become adults in the community and they truly become ages. So at the end of that message, people came up. Before I said give, they were writing checks and laying them across the stage. And before it was over, you that were here 12 to 14 years ago, gave so much and committed so much to this cause and this James 127 that not only was there enough money for one orphan home, there was enough for two. In fact, I emailed Dave that week and I said, you're not gonna believe what happened. We needed this much. He says, well, you, you could do, get another home. We wanna go to another country? I said, yeah, let's do a Thailand too. And on one Sunday, Grace Community Church gave enough and hear me out, two years ago, One of the greatest, I would say, most heartfelt praises that I can think of for Age of Soap is when the director contacted me two years ago and he said, Jim, you realize your church is in this club? And I was like, club? What club are we in? Fight club? (laughs) No, he said, your church has reached first. The $1 million club has given $1 million towards orphan care in Asia. Praise God, huh? (laughs) But there was a shift in everyone's thinking. And there has never been a month that these kids haven't been cared for. So this man meets Jesus... And in verse 5 it says, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in the condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. 
while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. The life expectancy during this time was 28 years. It would have been 40 years, but you remove all the children that were killed two years and under when they were looking for Jesus, made the life expectancy 28. So this man was on borrowed time. This man, even if the children weren't killed, was only two years away from death. And when you remove the babies, you understand the math. I love this thought that's kind of a sidebar to this story. You are never too old or too far past your prime for God to heal us and for a miracle to be formed in your life. It's no accident this man was called an invalid and not given a name. Isn't it interesting? We don't know whether his name's Robert or Jeff or Steve. We just know him as the invalid. And he's not given the name. Don't let what's wrong with you define you in your future. We do it too. Like we know people from high school. Oh boy, they, they smoke dope. And then we see them get like, oh, I remember they were high school. Or we have, we've been married and now we're, we're our ex and they did this or that. And we see them and we name them and we put this letter on their chest. And so we, we know friends. Oh, I remember the time. And if we're not careful, we name people by what they were instead of who they are in Christ. And the truth is this, when we come to Christ, we have a new name put on us and it's Jesus Christ kids. And so we, we classify ourselves by what we, and it's no coincidence that he's called the invalid because they even did that. He was known as an invalid because that's what they could see. Imagine for a second you and your kids coming to you when they're small and they tell a lie or a fib. And so they come and you call them their bluff and you figure out they lied to you and then you figure it out. How many of you when they leave say liar, come here? How many of you called the kids liar? Hey, liar. Hey, hey, little liar. Come here. We don't define them because of what they've done, nor does Jesus Christ in the gospel. He forgives us. We have a new name in Christ. So Jesus reaches out to him. And Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? By the way, he never says yes in this account. Why did he ask? Because he kept doing the same thing day after day and expecting a different result. And Jesus knew their heart. Jesus was saying that by your actions, it appears that your mat has become your security blanket and your label. Oh, has it for you too? Have you drifted into mediocrity? Have you drifted into laziness? Have you drifted into I want my way and it's only my way and I'm gonna show him I'm gonna get my way. I'm gonna show her I'm gonna get my way. And Jesus is calling you away from your lack of faith. He calls him sir, which I found interesting. He didn't even know it was Jesus. I find that very intriguing. He knew he was a rabbi, but he didn't know he was Jesus, and he never says yes. He tells Jesus that there was no one that could help him get to the stirred water. Getting well, however, hear me out. Jesus knew this, and so he calls his bluff, and he knew this. Getting well for him meant he would probably have to get a job. Getting well for him and that he would now have healed legs. Getting well for him meant he would have to strip himself of his blue parking permit. Getting well for him meant he would have a new level of responsibility to society and he would be responsible in a way he hasn't been in a long time. You see, some of us don't want Jesus to show yes. Some of us don't even want to ask because we know there would be a new level of accountability and responsibility and we would prefer just to sit where we're at and stay comfortably in mediocrity and just watch the world go by and all the while God is saying, get up! Like every blessing from God, it comes with the burden of responsibility to steward it well. The way you're living right now is an indication of how you'll live in the future. The way you're living right now is an indication of how you'll live in the future. There comes responsibility. This week, we ask our men who are in this fight club journey, I ask them to 
write a dream on their block, a big dream that they desire that God would do with their families if they're married in their singleness or maybe their future marriage or in their lives. And I said, go big because we have an impossible God. And then I want you to put it on the block and then we're going to pray. And so it was a fun week for Ann and I this past week as we just... We have tons of big dreams, and so we would sit at the supper table, and, and then we would hold, a hand, hold our hands, each other's hand, and we, pray, we prayed some dreams this week that were just like, okay, God, you can do it. It was like, we, we ate with a smile on our face. It was like, but one of the dreams I had was birthed many years ago, and so I put this on my block, one million. And for some, you might say, that's money. No, it isn't money. I have a dream that God, by his grace and because of his goodness and because I believe that's his call upon us, that he would allow me to lead one million people to Christ before he calls me home. Why? Because the gospel wasn't meant to stop with us. I believe God can make that. There was a time in my life that I prayed not because I wanted attention that I could be the next Billy Graham because I knew people needed Jesus Christ. But with that dream and that calling comes a level of responsibility. Guess what it is? Well, then share Christ right now with somebody. Why would God give you towards your dream if you don't even know what you're giving it towards. If God had someone come to your house right now, knock on your door and hand you a million dollar check, would you know what you would do with that? Like, I'm not talking about paying off bills. Would you know what you would do? And if the truth is, you know what you would do with it, then God most likely realizes that you have something to do with it. The parable of the talents, the man that buried his, par- his parable, his talent resource in the ground, what did God do? He took it from him and gave it to someone else that took a risk or a step of faith with it. Why would God give a million dollars to someone that says, I'm going to put it in the bank and draw interest? The reason we're here is to bless the nations with the gospel. Do you even have a $1 million? Do you have a $2 million dream? Do you have a $3 million dream? Do you even have a $1,000 dream? Why would God bless you with something you don't even know that you're going what to do with it? We need to think outside of how we normally think. Here's the problem, though, with some of us when it comes to miracles. We are too quick to try to explain what we really don't understand when no one can fully comprehend the ways of the Lord anyhow. If you assume no, then you will never give God a chance to say yes. This chair, maybe you've seen these chairs around the church. These are chairs that have been around our church for about 10 years. And on a Sunday morning about 10 years ago, I laid these chairs out across the front of the auditorium and they didn't have any markings on them. And I had some gray Sharpie pens And I believe in order for us to be a church that's on mission, then we need to be on mission. And so I had people come up at the end of our service and write the names. And I see some names of people that now know Jesus Christ. Praise God. Scott, praise God. And so you wrote the name. You came up and wrote a name down here. And you wrote your name that you would reach out to someone. That you would say, I will reach out to someone. And I will share Christ. So the accountability was there. So then I said, no, what we're going to do, we're going to take these chairs to every meeting, every ministry meeting, even the pastors that meet out in the community on purpose on Tuesdays because we want to be friends to our community. We carried these chairs into coffee shops and sat them down. And the reason I had our ministry leaders is because when you would sit around the table, you're all saved. And it's some of us have been saved for so long, we don't even think like a non-believer anymore. We don't even know what they're thinking. All we do think about what Christians think about and I said someone needs to have a voice for the lost and so at every meeting that we had we there was this chair and at some point in the meeting someone say I would say if it was I was in the meeting okay what would the law say about what we're doing right now 
How would this connect with someone that's far from God? How would what we're doing to grow in Christ connect so that someone can find Christ? The ultimate end of discipleship isn't just knowledge, it's knowledge that shares Christ with someone else so another disciple can be made and another and another and another. We must share the gospel. And so for about two years, we had these chairs in every meeting and it became, someone asked me recently, I was with some pastors a few weeks back and they said, Jim, what's your greatest way at your church that people come to Christ? I said, every way. <laughs> what do you mean? I said, yeah, our ministries, we're always thinking about there's an arm of evangelism. There has to be. If it doesn't have an arm of evangelism, then it doesn't have the heartbeat of the God who said he sent his son to seek and save the lost. Most miracles require you to do something that you haven't done before. And this man is going to have to do something he's never done before. You know what that was? Believe that he could walk. This is the make or break moment for this invalid to go from the invalid to the walker. Some of you might be waiting for God to move, yet God is waiting for you to move. And so Jesus says this in verse eight. Here's what Jesus said to him. Get up, pick up your mat, and what? What's it say? Walk. And it says in verse nine, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he did what? What's it say? Walked. You can't expect to do what you have done, always done, to see the miracle. In fact, you might have to do something you've never done before. Some people say, I want to see God move, yet all you do is sit like the rest of these people day after day, sit by the pool of complaints. It's never happened with me. I can't believe I've been here and nothing's happening. I'm blaming on them. No one helps me to the water. And God is saying, get up and walk. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to see a miracle? Here's how it happens. You get up off your apathy and walk. That's what you do. And that's what this invalid needed to do. The victory is already there for us. Don't end this year in the same place by the pool of complaints and fear and mediocrity and laziness. Do something different. Get up and walk. Keep in mind, though, that faith doesn't ignore a doctor's diagnosis. It does, however, seek a second opinion from the great physician. From my experience as a 59-year-old man, fear has a tendency to amp up its power the closer you get to the step of faith. And every time that I'm about through God's grace, about to take a step of faith to get outside of my box, I don't even have a box, just to take a step to go, Every time that's about to happen, you know what happens? Fear whispers. Oh, guess what's going to happen if you do that? Guess no one will help. You'll be by yourself. No one will give. You'll never have a building. That'll never happen. And I just laugh. You know why? Because it's the whispers of the enemy, and he is scared of Jesus and the gospel. Something happened between verse 8 and verse 9 here. He left his false assumptions and took a step of faith. He forgot about the 38 years of doing things his way and all the times he didn't get healed. And he picked up his security blanket and his blue handicapped parking permit and he walked. Stop and consider how hard that must have been for him. We need to remember not what didn't happen, but what can happen. In the game of baseball, a good baseball player, as a pro, bats 300. And if you really think about that, if you did 30% in any other performance, you would be gone. But in baseball, if you can get up and load and explode and get your hands through the ball and get three hits out of 10, then you're successful. 
The truth is this, even as a baseball player, the next time up, he doesn't remember, she doesn't remember playing softball the seven times she didn't or he didn't hit the ball. They try to remember in their minds when they did hit the ball, and so when they step up and they load and explode and get their hands through the ball, they're thinking, I'm going to swing for the fence. It's the same for us. We can't let the times that it didn't happen keep us from trying again and getting up and swing the bat. If you want to experience the miraculous, you have to come to the terms with the fact that the who, the what, the when, and how aren't up to you, but up to Jesus Christ. This week, I went back to my my early journal at Grace Community Church because some of you walk in here and you see the church as it is today, and you don't have a full snapshot of the journey. And can I be really candid with you? I didn't either. But I believe God wanted us to reach the 200,000 in Elkhart County. I have no desires and, and care and concern about how big Grace Community is. I just love people, and so does Jesus. And if you're stuck on numbers, big or size, small, then you're going to be disappointed in heaven when every tribe and every nation worships together. And I say this because of this. God is the agent that grows. For me, it's, it's a stewardship issue. I live in a county where 200,000 people don't have a home. And if we don't try to reach them, then who will? And by God's grace, he is reaching them here. So someone asked me, how large do you want to get church? I don't care. It's up to God. I just want to be a faithful follower of Jesus that continues to push light into darkness. Why do I tell you that? Because when you come in here, you see, Grace Community Church was a a small handful of people who loved Jesus and when our kids were, Josh and Hannah were, came to Grace, Isaiah wasn't born, they doubled the children's ministry. There were only two other kids, their age in the church, and Sandy Cheek taught them. <laughs> but here's a, a journal entry from December 7th, 1998. Hello, God, I love you. It's Monday morning, and I'm sitting in the front room looking out the window Maybe we're going to have a colder week. It's been in the 60s for all winter. Gas is 73 cents a gallon. <laughs> well, you answered again for us a prayer request at church concerning our finances. Two people give $1,000 checks this week. And let me just say, that was a week that Ann and I didn't know we were going to get paid. And a man by the name of Terry Zebel walked in with a $1,000 check. <laughs> and we were paid that week. Praise the Lord, we had three baptisms yesterday and a real sweet worship service. There appears to be a real movement of God. We had 117 people in attendance and some new faces. Whoa, praise God. Please, God, continue to move in our church and take full reign of our lives. My family is doing well. Anne is such an amazing mom and is planning how she will make Christmas gifts this year. Josh and I had the opportunity to lead three boys to Christ on Saturday while playing basketball. Remember that, Josh, at Rogers Park? Well, it's Monday, and I enjoy sitting here with Ann and chatting. Please help me to remain faithful and give us guidance concerning our future. I love you, Lord. I'll read another entry from May 11, 1999. It's Tuesday. I had a short night. Hannah is sick, but very good about it. Josh had a t-ball game tonight, and I love to watch him play. Hannah went across the monkey bars last night and rode her bike to and from school with me. We had a great turnout Sunday in church, 75 and 68, 143 people. Praise God. I do not want to thwart what he's doing. My dad is deeply depressed, but I know God can deliver him. I want to do whatever it takes to show you I believe in you, God. And I want our church to be a church of faith and explode for you. We would love to have a drummer in a multi-purpose facility. Show me how 
I can assist in this process. I feel a little tired physically, but I've had a real good spiritual time with you, God. And I believe you are preparing me and my family and church for something really big. I love you, Lord, and desire you to bless the work here in Goshen so that we can reach many men. Pray for Scott Swinehart that he will be our next drummer. He was our neighbor who didn't know Christ. And we're hoping that through drumming he would come to know Jesus. May 12th, 1999. It's Wednesday. I'm going on a field trip with Hannah today to Everts. You guys remember Everts? <laughs> Josh had a t-ball game last night. We won 24 to 21. The only reason I knew is because I kept score. <laughs> and so did the rest of your dads too. <laughs> Scott Swinehart is looking for his drumsticks. Praise the Lord. Ann and I aren't sleeping too much these days. Isaiah doesn't either. <laughs> Oh, well, it's par for the course. I'm trying to think of ways to step out in faith more for our church future. I know God is able, and I just want to show him more that I believe. Teach me, God, how to show faith to my people. Lord, I believe you for 250 people in our church and a drummer and many guitar players and a keyboard player, and a multi-purpose facility, and an effective senior ministry and youth ministry. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your newness and freshness every morning. Please, God, use me and my family in unbelievable ways in this fellowship of churches. Please allow this opportunity with Wheeland Designs, as I speak this week, to lead people to Jesus Christ. It's story after story after story of believing and stepping believing and stepping out and then God coming through. If you want to experience the miraculous, you have to come to terms with the fact that God is able to. This invalid was out of referrals, so he had to follow Jesus. It required a huge step of obedience and that's what it takes for us. I don't know what your faith issue is. Maybe it's your child and you're thinking, I just don't see that anything's going to change. Live like they are going to change. Believe it. Pray that way. It's easy to get accustomed to our crutches. I don't want us to be those kind of Christ followers that just sat by the water. I mean, watch what happens to the people that saw this. I don't even want to be the spectators. Verse 11, it says, or 10, so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, they don't call him the invalid anymore. It's the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. They had watched a man who didn't walk before now walking, and they were legalists, and they were saying, listen, they were more concerned that he did it on the Sabbath than celebrating what had been done. Legalism squashes glory meant for God and elevates man's achievements. If you assume no, that it can't happen, then you'll never give God a chance to make it happen. I always want my faith and your faith to keep us swinging for the fences. <laughs> Because my God and your God can do the impossible. When you walked in today, there's, you received a list of goals. And hopefully you have those. And we want you to put these on your refrigerator when you get home today and pray through these. And, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I just want to read these out. And, and while you're hearing these, I'm going to ask you, if you feel a tug at your heart, to assist and step out with these, then I'm gonna ask you to follow through with that tug. But follow along with me. These are goals birthed out of prayer for Grace Community Church. Just follow along. Make Grace Community a place where Jesus gets all the credit. Challenge every attendee of Grace Community to give, serve, and connect. Be a life-saving station where 3,000 people trust in Jesus, amen? Plunge 1,000 believers in public baptism. Increase live 
worship service to 150% attendance, free from any restrictions. Annihilate the virus, amen? Create a culture of prayer where people recognize that only God can answer those kinds of prayers. Call for 100% volunteer participation. Listen, that's you, every single person here. Serve, serve, serve. No more seat dwellers this year, amen? No, 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 amen? In Jesus' name, go home. <laughs> Burn the mortgage, elevate and equip for our ESL ministry. Add 10 students to our master's degree program with Grace Seminary. See every attending lead at least one person to salvation in Jesus. Plan a vibrant, life-transforming, Jesus-centered, multicultural church in the south side of Elkhart. <laughs> Establish a 5K cross-country course at the lodge that allows schools in our community the chance to meet Jesus while they run. Foster a hunger for the coming of the Lord that pushes every attendee to be bold, courageous, and urgent evangelist. Relaunch the park. Send out 10 short-term mission teams. Hire the brightest, godliest, hardest-working pastoral staff member. Remove the word impossible from our vocabulary. Crush addictions, strongholds, sinful habits once for all. Dispatch 10 blue crew blitzes that allow us to take Jesus to the neighborhood. Pioneer three church-wide fasts. Destroy convenience, mediocrity, and laziness, and anything else that keeps us from serving God. Create a place where every man and woman is connected to multiple men's, women's gatherings to find accountability. Witness 1,000 men walk through the fight club journey. 1,000 women, the remarkable women's journey. Equip local churches with resources to take the gospel to their communities. Challenge 500 people to join in weekly corporate prayer. Launch a bus ministry. Encourage every attendee to become a generous giver. Raise the awareness and support prayer and connections of our missionaries to a state of the mission display. Commission five people full-time Christian work. Hire, train, and develop new interns. Develop a vibrant senior ministry. Host Momentum Youth Conference so that hundreds of students can experience the love of Jesus. Host a ministry conference for pastors and church leaders. Establish new outreaches that utilize the lodge and Goshen campus in a fresh way. Give away 10,000 plus in food cards to the community. Host marriage gatherings that spark love with each couple. Utilize our open gym as a powerful way to bring people together from all walks of life. Become the fittest church on planet earth so we are never rendered ineffective to be used by God in spreading the gospel prod every attending to be passport ready so they can take the gospel how listen to me you should own a passport if you're a Christian you should be ready to go to the other side of the world if you're not having a passport order it today move on or go home in Jesus name catapult a new mindset that thinks yes instead of no update our sound system in the north auditorium and still a fresh dose of faith in every attendee so they pray big prayers and take big steps of faith ignite a hunger for god's word among our attendees believe more pray bigger take leaps of faith attempt the impossible with god laugh daily never doubt the power of our god who can do it measure more than all we ask or imagine amen, amen.